What's up, everybody? This episode of the podcast is sponsored by DistroKid. Super stoked to have DistroKid supporting the podcast. They're the go-to for digital distribution and the easiest way for musicians to get music into Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, TikTok, YouTube, and more. They offer unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of their earnings in stores 10 to 20 times faster than any other distributor. Fastest payouts, they help out with automatic splits, cover song clearance. I really dig this company and I dig their business model that offers more features than any other distributor at the most affordable price possible for solo musicians, artists, bands, DJs, performers, and any other creators that are recording music in their home. And they also offer label services as well. The best part about DistroKid supporting the podcast is that they are offering Dan Cable Presents listeners 30% off your first year of membership, which is absolutely huge, making their already affordable memberships even cheaper. So check out the link in the episode notes. I will put that there. Or you can also find it in my link tree in my Instagram bio. Click that link and it will give you 30% off that sign up. Can't thank DistroKid enough for sponsoring the podcast. Let's start the episode. What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the program once again. If this is your first time listening, thanks for checking out the show. You can find fresh episodes coming at you every Friday. And if you want to help support this thing in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, clicking write a review, giving the podcast five stars, you say a few nice words, and that will help propel this thing into the tops of those iTunes charts which will give it more visibility on the national and international levels, helping strangers find the podcast and just a great way to contribute to the sustainability of this thing. And I appreciate the hell out of all the folks that have already taken the time to do so. And uh, I appreciate you just for tuning in. Stoked to get into this one chat I had with Daniel G. Harmon, who is a director over at Distro Kid and also a songwriter and musician himself for many years. So it was cool diving into his musical history as well as uh, learning more about Distro Kid. And uh, we'll jump into that momentarily. You can also find the podcast on Spotify now if that's your preferred place of listening. To things and I've also been dropping monthly playlists there on the the first of every month so look out for a new one of those coming at you in a week or so on April 1st and been trying to keep those pretty spread out genre wise and I'll put the link for that in the episode notes so you can find those but give those a follow and a like if you're uh, if you're digging those as well trying to figure out how to get those up on iTunes. So hopefully that will happen 
soon and uh you can check out the the dan cable presents merch the mugs are uh, are available the link will be in the episode notes for that as well as the the t-shirts which are also on my my website dan cable presents.com so uh check those things out and i am recording this on a very gray and gloomy thursday afternoon here in Portland, Oregon, and it is bumming me out. I'm ready for the sun to uh, to be here consistently. Unfortunately, I think uh, I think we're still a couple months away from that being a reality here in the Pacific Northwest. But uh, yeah, hope everybody is uh, doing all right out there and, and hanging in there. Continues to be strange times but uh it's very cool to see that more and more musicians are posting about real shows happening and uh it seems like more and more people are uh into at least their first dose of the vaccine and uh and maybe we're gonna get some sort of normal summer or at least something much better than what we got last year and I'm just trying to remain hopeful of that and I'm just pumped to go see some fucking music and uh to see bands and artists back on the road touring and maybe we'll even get some cool festivals towards the uh towards the end of summer as well so I keep I keep seeing postings for for them happening so we'll see how it all shakes out we got episode 247 in store for you and creeping up on the 250 mark here so thank you for all the people that continue to listen to this thing and uh if you're new to the show Go back, check out some some previous episodes. Like I said, conversations usually coming at you every Friday with an artist or musician or other creatives or, you know, sometimes my mom or something along those lines happens as well. So plenty more coming at you and every other week, volumes of I Dig Records coming out as well. Last uh, Last one we did was Land of Talk and this group called Inc. Both of those records are really amazing. So check that out. And this coming Wednesday, we'll be putting out our episode on Steely Dan's Iconic Asia. So that should be rad to dive into. So tune in, check it out. And we're going to get into my conversation with Daniel G. Harmon cannot thank this dude enough for giving me the opportunity to uh talk to him about what i was doing with this podcast and uh giving me the opportunity to uh create a partnership with distro kid and uh them sponsoring is is super huge and uh just couldn't be any more grateful and this was kind of my first opportunity to to get to know Daniel outside of that. And we had an awesome chat and, uh, yeah, just cool to dive into his music background and 
also talk the distro kid stuff. So that's what's coming at you. Episode 247. All the links for Daniel will be in the uh, episode notes as well as that distro kid link. So check those things out and we're going to kick off the episode with a track called Frailty Lines that Daniel G. Harmon did in collaboration with Mondo Loops. Let's do the damn thing. super stoked to chat with you hey thank you for having me i'm so uh it was nico i think that introed us um yeah our my coworker and buddy um who's been on your show before yeah it was a while ago him and him and jace mm-hmm. came on talk about their uh vacationer yeah project that yeah. that they were uh doing at that time i don't know if they're still actively I don't think anybody's doing that right now. I know, I know, I know they're both, uh, they're both still putting music out separately for sure. Um, but yeah, I met, I met those guys a few years back, just kind of connecting with a bunch of folks in the kind of Seattle Bellingham area. Was that, did they come down to Portland to actually, were they on tour when they recorded it or they do it remote? Yeah, they were, uh, they were playing a show down here. Cool. And I had met Nico because he was playing in this this other band for a while called the Co-Founder, mm-hmm. and that's how I ended up meeting Nico. And so the next time him and Jace came through, that's I had them on. It was super fun. That's awesome. I love those super guys. great music. Yeah, super good music. Um, but yeah, man, I'm I'm stoked to have you on. I've been diving in to to your music, and it seems like you've been putting out music for a long time now so i'm i'm uh i'm pumped to uh to hear about kind of your your music background as well as uh dive into some distro kid stuff as well so um are you you're up in seattle is that where you is that your hometown uh it well it has been for the last 20 years uh i've from arizona originally um, okay. I moved from Phoenix in, I grew up in a really small town in Arizona, but I lived in Phoenix for five years before moving up here in 99 
And then I lived here um, for about four years, and then I moved to Portland, actually. Uh, Portland, okay. Oregon. And uh, I lived there for a couple years with um, a gal at the time, and then I decided I missed Seattle a lot, and so I, I came back, and uh, I've been here ever since. So I, I you know... The Northwest for is home for sure. That my parents live up here now, and uh, my sister's about to move out here, so it's it's home now. And Seattle, I've been in Seattle for I don't know, like the last at least ten years since we moved back. So, since I moved back, so yeah. What Seattle do you guy. what do you uh, what do you remember about the Seattle music scene when you first got there? Because we're talking like four or five years post the the Cobain days, and you know some of those bands were still cranking at that time well that's like the reason that i moved here um i was a small town kid and i loved music and i honestly like i have no shame in saying like i loved grunge <laughs> and uh, i graduated high yeah. school in 94 and i traveled to seattle for the first time with my sister in 97 just to like check it out and i uh i loved it and i was like i want to move there and then i never came back until i was in the car to move here and um it was just crazy. Like I wasn't really, I was a guitar player and I'd sang, I played in like bass and screamed in a band in Phoenix. And then I moved here and it was, I was just immediately thrown into it. Going to shows. I was like early to mid twenties, you know, going to shows every night, going to the crocodile every night, getting up, going to work, going to crocodile every night or going to the break room. And, and it was just so insane because you would go to these places and I would see my heroes. Like you'd see Jeremy Enoch or Nate Mendel, like chilling at the bar. And I'm like, Holy shit. All you'd ever see in Phoenix is like Tom from Jimmy Eat world. <laughs> but, hey, that's which is a big still one for awesome, me, man. Which, I actually lived with Rick's girlfriend for uh, two years in Phoenix. No way. Yeah, I know those guys really well. Crazy. Um, so that's amazing. He, uh, they're like one of my favorite bands of all time. Uh, I love that band. So uh, same. <clears throat> I have all of their, I see you have quite a few records behind yeah. you. I know our listeners can't <laughs> see your setup, but I, um, I also have a bunch of records behind me and I have all of the Jimmy world records. Yeah. I love them so much. I want my, like my most prized possession was, uh, or was, and then I got it again. Uh, clarity, um, like a test press. Um, or no static yeah. prevails test press. I'm sorry with the one with the beach leaves on it. And I yeah. got that Rick gave it to me like the day it came out. Cause capital gave them like a box of them. Rick gave it to me. And then I don't know, like 10 years ago, I was really hurting for money and I sold it. And, um, for, I don't know, like a hundred dollars or something. And then last year I just bought it again. <laughs> like I saw it at Sonic Boom and I was like, Oh my God, I have to get that. So that was like one of the great regrets. Like I had, uh, Dear You on Blue Like Marble, and I sold that, and then that uh, Static Prevails test press, and I, I I ended up buying them back, and I, um, man, anyway, tangent. Uh, <laughs> but the difference is, like, Phoenix is, is, was a wasteland artistically at that time, so I came here, and I was just like, head explode, you know? And you're just so uh, introduced to so much rad stuff immediately and ever, and nightly you know, in the late nineties, yeah. early two thousands, like bands were humping, man, like every night four band bill, the croc break room, you know, comet. And, uh, I miss that. <laughs> I mean, especially now, especially these days. Yeah, I miss for that. sure. So, you know, that was um, even my, my experience, like moving up to Portland from outside of LA is that like, 
the accessibility to go to shows seemed like it was different. Mm-hmm. And and to see like the bands that were, uh, you know, the the independent unknown bands to see shows like in in this city is so much different than what I grew up with in LA, like seeing smaller bands. Cause usually it was all pay to play kind of shows in that market. So it was like kind of hard to see anybody kind of rising up. That wasn't already a big band unless you caught them as an opening act with yep. a bigger band. Yeah. And also don't forget the like driving, you know, Phoenix and LA are very similar, man. You're slogging, you know, three hours probably to see Jimmy world at the glass house, you know, <laughs> or something when it was kind of the same deal for me, like, you know, Phoenix is huge and uh, right. it takes forever to get anywhere. But you know, Seattle, I was like, Holy shit. I can like walk to see a show yeah. and then be home in my bed in 30 minutes, you know, by foot. So it's very different and, and it's all concentrated, you know, uh, just like Portland, like downtown, except for maybe the tonic, you know, but like downtown is very, all, a lot of venues are really close to each other. So same with Seattle, right. you know, Capitol Hill, Belltown, uh, you know, downtown area, you know, you can, you could go to four shows a night. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Man. Go to four shows. I've done it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, many of my friends have, uh, not seen me play because they were doing it, <laughs> yeah. you know, sorry, I have to go to the other thing. Um, that's also the curse of a, a place like Seattle or, or, um, or Portland where there's so much rad stuff. Being a musician, you are a small pit, a uh, small fish oftentimes in a big, right. Band, you know, and like I would, I don't know if Seattle is similar, but with Portland, I think the issue can sometimes be that so many of the musicians, the other musicians are the ones that are showing up for the shows. Oh, yeah. So if there's like four really good shows on a Friday night, everybody's kind of being pulled in different directions. Yep. And no one just goes, you know, at least now, or, you know, let's pretend it's still a thing. Uh, you know, it, no one would camp out for a night like they, like you used to, you, you know, you would stay at the Crocker, probably Ash street for all four bands or whatever. Instead it's like, yep, now I'm popping over here to see these guys or whatever. And, it's like, well, it's not really an event anymore. Right. <laughs> now it's a social thing. So. <clears throat> good and bad. It's all it's good and bad with that. So growing up kind of small town Arizona, were you kind of seen as like a misfit kid for playing music and getting involved in that? I was kind of a misfit kid because I wasn't a Mormon. Um, and the town I grew up in was very, very, very Mormon. And I was like, my parents were Lutheran. And so, you know, I didn't really get to play sports very much because it was very, you know, if you weren't a Mormon kid, you didn't get to do shit. And so, uh, as soon as I, you know, I, w I was in like choir and I did a couple plays. Um, I really liked sports. I, I, I played baseball and basketball until I, a probably wasn't physically capable because <laughs> I suck or like, I just felt, you know, like I, I wasn't invited anymore to be on the team. Like you could try out, but it just wasn't worth it because you weren't, you know, Mormon. Uh, so I yeah. kind of said, fuck it. And, and, uh, as soon as I graduated, I pieced out of there. Like the day I graduated, I got in my, my truck and drove to, drove to Phoenix and lived there for five years and immediately kind of fell in with like, you know, punk rock, straight edge, hardcore crew. Um, uh, and started just going to like, there were a ton, like mid nineties though, you know, there were a ton of, 
like punk rock and hardcore shows in Phoenix. You know, like Earth Crisis was on tour all the time, and and uh, and so there was still there was not like nightly like here it is like in Seattle d- during that time, but there was still stuff. You know, but not. You know, I if I wanted to start a band and like try to be successful, I didn't feel like I had the tools or necessarily the community for that. But that was like for sure my education on 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 punk rock um, was my time in Phoenix. When did you first pick up a an instrument? Not till I was uh, 17, my senior year of high school. Um, I sang because I was in church and I sang in choir and and uh, and and I was in uh, not show choir, but like a choir where you wore like suits in high school. Uh, but I always ne- was never good at it because I couldn't read music um, and I still can't. Uh, and that's why, you know, singing in church was always just for many reasons. But <laughs> a big one was. I can't read music. I have no idea what to make this sound like, you know? Um, so right. that was really it. My voice was my instrument for the first, you know, seven, seven to 10 years of my music experience. And then when I was 17, I, I started playing guitar and took a couple lessons and quickly learned that I'm not very good at lessons. <laughs> and so I just tried to play <laughs> along to my favorite stuff. And that's how I really learned. Um, and then just started kind of, <laughs> kind of writing, you know, writing without knowing that you're writing i think um yeah what about what about lyrically were you like when you were singing even through you know school and whatnot were you ever like writing down any lyrics of your own or any and doing any writing in any form yeah i was always writing stuff down um you know and i still do and i I'll, i still reference stuff that i've written down like five ten twenty years ago because i just have notebooks and like notes on my phone and stuff um but it was always uh, you know vulner to be vulnerable with you <laughs> it was always like a, a, a um two separate things you know i would in my head be like that's a cool phrase and i write it down but then i'll the next day be playing guitar and be like, that's a cool guitar part. But the two would never meet until I forced them to meet, <laughs> uh, if that makes sense. And so that was, all, that still is my struggle, you know, and I I'll struggle with finding, uh, uh, replacing placeholder lyrics, you know, my blotty blah crap that I'm just like, Oh, that sounds awesome. But that doesn't make, it's like cigarettes because it's another, <laughs> another language or something, you know? Uh, but nobody wants to hear that. Um, and, but then I just have a really hard time. Like I'll go th- scrolling through lyrics. And I'm like, all right, I have to piece this together and try to figure out how to make a song out of it. My, I was never like, I never was Bazan and could tell a story and I, or Mark Koslick and could tell a story. And those were, you know, the people that, or my heroes because they have this just incredible sense of melody, but also you're like, Oh shit, you're talking about your dead dog, <laughs> you know? And, and it makes right, you want right. to yeah. die. Um, and I just could never do that. I think I I'm pretty, I'm really good at, you know, without trying to sound cocky, like I'm good at writing melody, but I, I still struggle really hard with pairing lyrics, you know, and trying to, um, emote lyrically with, and get it to match the melody. That's always going to be a struggle for me. <clears throat> yeah i wonder if it's because you kind of started doing the two things separately could be you know uh, like i kind of i kind of have like a similar like i don't know i've had a similar experience where like i sing in a band 
in my early 20s and like that we had for a long time and it wasn't until like after that band that I got serious about learning how to play guitar well enough to be able to write songs Mm -hmm. because I kind of like similar to you also when I first got my guitar and like took lessons I was like I hate this like I hate that I can't already play right and I don't understand like you trying to teach me this thing right now I don't think my hands are ever going to be able to stretch to make a proper bar chord or like whatever um but then it wasn't until yeah like later in my life like mid to late 20s where I finally started you know kind of doing the things together because I had learned how to play guitar well enough to write songs and then I was kind of finally making the lyrics and the melody happen while writing the song instead of trying to do what you're talking about you know doing that separate those two separate pieces and i've got i've got these lyrics that i really love and then you're just trying to fucking jam them into this thing that it wasn't like really built for totally it's hard it's hard and um yeah i don't know if you find yourself with like the placeholder kind of blah blah blahs because oftentimes i'll be like playing a guitar part and i'll and i won't hear a melody yet and i'm like all right the only way a melody is going to come is if i open my mouth and just start singing and whatever comes out is going to be awesome or it's gonna be terrible and then if it's awesome what i'm saying is generally terrible so then i have like a demo of garbage that's musically cool but just lyrically shit and so then trying to pull from you know from various places to fill those gaps it's hard for me really hard so i'm glad you feel it (laughs) or feel (laughs) feel the pain you know it's nice to know that i'm not alone in that but it's also uh i don't know i wouldn't have like guessed that by listening to your music in any way that it is like a separate process oh well thank you very much i uh you know i it's that's very sweet of you to say and i I hope I can continue to pull it off <laughs> to, to, to fake them. Uh, I don't know. It's uh, I, we're always harder on ourselves, right? Right. For sure. <laughs> always the worst critic, yeah. but it's, that's the thing. That's the thing that bangs, makes me bang my head against the wall. So, and it, that's oftentimes becomes a thing that makes it like, I don't want to do it right now because <laughs> yeah. I know it's going to be hard so. for sure. And are you, uh, like, do you play any other instruments or use any other instruments as, as writing tools? I do. And, um, you know, I, I play keyboard a little bit. Um, I don't know chords or anything, but I, again, just find the melody I've experienced. I've been experimenting with like drum machine kind of stuff lately. I can't play drums, but like, I like tapping, Um, so I have a a few keyboards, I have a Moog and mostly just like, that's where kind of the idea of collaborating with people, uh, has been really great for me, uh, over the last year is because you're not necessarily the one that's in charge of the spark anymore. And the whole, Mm. the whole thing, if you're like, Hey, let's do a song. I have a thing that I think you might be cool at because I like what you're doing. Uh, I could send something to someone and then they would send something back that I would never have expected before. Or I'll be like, Hey, let me sing on a thing of yours. Send me something. And they'll send it over. And like, oftentimes immediately stuff comes to me versus just like banging your head against the wall for so long. Like, Oh, well this uh, guitar part's been cool for about six months, but I don't know what to do with it. Cause I don't have fresh ears anymore. You know? Right. And I think vo- I was having this conversation with a coworker. I think, um, 
And I'm really probably like you have a billion voice memos <laughs> of like the greatest <laughs> so song stupid. at never written, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, but I'm really finding they're getting life now. And I think it's because, you know, lo-fi hip hop is a cool thing and everyone, a lot of people are doing it and I'm guilty of it too because it's fun and easy and it's easy to collaborate with people. So I've been, I'll just like, I had a song that came out last month called the gift with, um, my friend Wilson. And like six months ago, I sent them three or four just old voice memos. I was like, do, do whatever and send them back and maybe we can do something. And, and they sat on them for a while and then all of a sudden just threw them back at me in this complete song. And I was like, Oh my God, like, I don't even remember any of these parts. Um, (laughs) but this sounds way better than I could have ever done. And another nice thing to think about too, is those voice memos. And this is not my idea. I think Wilson told me this, which is so brilliant. Those voice memos capture that moment. Dude, yeah, that that's spark. the fucked up thing. Yeah, you know? <laughs> that, th- yeah, dude, that's the whole... Uh, it pisses me off when I pick up the guitar and I have no intent to like even maybe, r- you know, write a new song or develop a new idea. If I don't hit the record on the voice memo before I even pick that thing up, I'm going to come up with this idea and then I'm going to play it and Let's I'm going to be so mad that I did not record it because I'm never going to recreate it the way it was. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, you're right. There's so much there's so much energy in those those first ideas. Those initial like whatever sparked the fire, you know. Yeah. So And how do we mimicking do it that, for so long before, dude? Like how was like I don't know. How are all of our heroes writing songs? without a voice something to like record it <laughs> and these songs are amazing you know like yeah i just i am a, like a slave to my machinery at this point you know like yeah i, I don't know if it's it just down. like a an overthinking thing it's gotta be and like i just can't do it after I, and it's uh it's irritating i read a thing that paul Daniel. mccartney said a long time ago where he was like if I play something and I don't immediately remember it, then it wasn't worth remembering. And I was like, that's pretty smart. (laughs) You know, that's pretty smart. Like if I have to like, just like really suffer to remember this thing that I thought was cool yesterday, then it probably wasn't that cool (laughs) or at least that memorable. So, yeah, that is so cool though, to like be able to like throw your ideas out to somebody else and then, have this completely reimagined thing kind of come back at you. And I know that you've also had some of your tracks remixed as well. And I don't know if those are always something you're doing the remix of or like outsourcing them, but I would imagine that that's kind of like a, a similar experience of just getting to hear someone else's ideas on building on, on your initial ideas. Yeah. It's uh, I think I've had a couple songs remixed and, uh, it's generally by someone that, you know, knows me. Uh, so it's never been yet completely crazy. Um, you know, I would love that, you know, I would love someone that, you know, I just pay off the internet that I've never, has never listened to my stuff before to like remix my, uh, a track or something because I generally get the same approach. It's like when I go to work, uh, like if I, if I book a studio, 
and I love all the engineers and, and, and producers that I've worked with, but they're like, yep. Okay. Bunch of reverb, uh, <laughs> a little, little delay on the vocals and there's the DGH, you know? <laughs> so, but I would love to ha- have like someone like flip the script on all that shit. Um, but yeah, remixes are cool. I'm actually, um, judging a remixing contest. I'm one of the oh. judges and it totally is one of those things. Uh, there's a bunch of, uh, Spanish artists that I work with and one of their managers, um, is a DJ and I'm collaborating with him on a thing. And, and he's like, Hey, would you like to like be a judge for these songs? And I was like, I don't know shit about EDM. And he's like, no, but you, like, you know, good songs. And, uh, so basically he set up like a SoundCloud and there's, uh, been like 15 submissions already. And, and it's just cool. It's like, I, maybe I'm coming at it from like, I don't know shit about this genre, I'm a different, I'm like giving it a perspective, a different perspective, you know? So it's been fun. Yeah. <clears throat> it's been fun. Yeah. I think that's, that's very cool. Like you don't have all these, I don't know, these predetermined things that need to happen during this EDM song. Yeah. I can't to, write a to drop. check off all these boxes. <laughs> I'm not writing drops in Ableton, you know? <laughs> um, that gift song though, that you, you mentioned, that's one of my favorite songs in your in your catalog of tunes and i tried to get through as much of it as possible um i definitely like listen through your essentials playlist and i'll put the link for that in the episode notes for sure but you just have like this very large discography to try to tackle but uh going through it i yeah that that gift song really stuck out and i really dug the the visual that you you put for the video on that just like this yeah it's like an interactive picture almost you know yeah wilson the my collaborator um wltv they did the the canvas for it uh the little spotify video that plays um when you're staring at your phone and that song was another was one of those that came together really crazily i I mentioned i sent them tracks you know voice memos for six months ago like august i think december they sent me these maybe even january they sent them back to me and i was going through some shit as soon as I got him back, I, like, I was going through some stuff with my family. Um, and I was like, all right, babe, I'm going upstairs. And, like I went upstairs, my wife went to bed and I just like banged the vocal track out and like, a, like a keyboard melody. And that was the song. And it was like, I never would have done that. Had I not sent it to someone else, collaborated with someone. Now we created a thing, you know? And I just, I just love that.
it, it some, sometimes songs take five, you know six months to then take five minutes to write like the perfect song you know not the perfect song but you know what i'm mean? like part that was should have yeah. always been there you know for sure so part of my challenge with like doing stuff collaborating with people or like collaborating with like lo-fi artists and stuff is so much of that shit is so repetitive you know it's like the same part right for like two it's minutes. a vibe yeah it's a vibe so what I've always prided myself on is being able to add dynamic. So I can take this song that's like kind of the same and add, you know, swells and guitar parts and different vocal things where it takes a thing that's like the same four chords over and over again and, and changes it into like actual parts. And that's the fun, fun thing for me. Like this is, that's a verse. That's a chorus. I like a lot of the, the lo-fi kind of hip hop stuff that you've been digging into recently like that andalusia track is really cool thank you the um that treetops jam fun to do yeah that's like my buddy from hawaii just a a fellow that i've known for a long time and you know coronavirus made us all work together together alone together i guess yeah (laughs) it's like a great time for that that sort of technology to be in play where people can make records remotely and then just hopefully also force some different creativity out of one another because of the circumstances yeah for sure it's uh everyone's making the best of it doing what we can you know yeah but also i don't know i just appreciate you know the the idea of like the collaboration and even talking to uh i just had this band stoner control from portland on and they're one of my favorite local bands but um as their band developed it develops it it's like there's not one songwriter in the band anymore it's like everybody in the band is a songwriter and it's just like i think that breaks down some of those those ego barriers a little bit <clears throat> the front to, man uh, <laughs> yeah that's exactly you know what 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 they were talking about too of just like this brand of a band you know it can't be just this one person because everybody has such a deep level of participation in in all of it and you know a couple different lead singers and and things like that and but it's just so nice to not be drawing upon one person also so what you're saying is jimmy world was way ahead of their time yes an incredibly (laughs) hard market in the 90s they're like which one is it (laughs) (laughs) who's the guy that sounds like the old man (laughs) absolutely Uh, so like what a also like a great tool to like kind of i guess you know to create some sustainability in a project too yeah or someone like yourself that just like wants to keep writing music and maybe needs some other people to you know help see some ideas through yeah and i'm in a punk rock band called local liars uh which are like four old dudes like me we've all just played music 
you know, in Seattle for a long time, Kenny, the other singer, um, he was in my band, the trouble starts for a long time. And Jason, um, and Danny were in a band called XOXO together for a long time. And we just all played shows together. And, and now we've been, you know, playing punk rock for about four years and we have a record and, and a single out. And it's kind of the same thing. Like Kenny and I, um, just kind of share the duties of songwriting and Danny and Jason throw ideas out there too. Danny had a song on the record. Um, but it's really nice. And I think that it kind of, as a person that's used to being the guy that, or the person that has to like play the guitar, write the guitar parts, sing the songs, you know, do those things. And is always responsible for that. It's nice to be like, I'm just going to sit back and, and just like play, you know, the chords on this one. Or I'm just gonna do a like a two note solo the whole time, and I don't, and that's my responsibility. Basically, our, our, our mantra is like, enough, we're not doing any, we're not reinventing the wheel. <laughs> we sound like Jawbreaker, <laughs> if, <laughs> if only, you know, um, we would love to sound like Jawbreaker, like, um, but you know, we haven't been in the same room together in a year now, so. Yeah. But I would imagine like doing that stuff also, hopefully, uh makes you excited about doing your own music too and kind of having more control over things as well. Yeah. It's a nice balance. Cause sometimes I'll be like, this song would never fit in my own stuff. And then uh, the other way around, you know? Uh, so I, it's nice to have both kind of outlets. Uh, and t- sometimes you get tired of having, you know, four wives. <laughs> so you decide to go and be by yourself, you know, like <laughs> that's kind of how four girlfriends is how I've always looked at being in a band, you know, uh, one is enough for me. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it's, uh, it's nice to be able to be like, oh, I'm going to go hang out with some, some dudes and then I'm going to go hang out by myself for a while. So for sure. <clears throat> you, do you spend a lot of time now still kind of kicking songs off just you and an acoustic guitar? Um, I try to find the time to, I, I'm like where I'm sitting now is my recording, my main recording area, but it's also my work area, you know? So it's hard to, um, I have a a lot of guitars in here, but it's hard to find the time to pick one up, but I try to have one nearby because you know, I never leave the house anymore. Uh, I try to have one nearby all the time in case I, I have an idea. Um, but I, I find myself the older I get, forcing myself to like, I'll see my guitar staring at me (laughs) in the corner, (laughs) you know, like a cat, (laughs) 
It's like, you better play with me. Um, but I don't want to, cause I'm afraid of what's going to happen. Like it's what's going to come out, you know, uh, or I'm just lazy. So I don't know if that answered your question, but, uh, I don't play as, as nearly as much as I would like to, but then I think back, did I ever, <laughs> you know, like when it was time, when I was inspired to write a song, I would try it. I would do it. I was never, yeah. I never had like the work ethic of, of like Bruce, you know, where he's like, I'm going to write 10 songs today. And he writes 10 yeah. songs, you know, like I'm too lazy for that shit. You're not going <laughs> to do like songwriting exercises to like, I'm going to write a song every day this week Mm-mm. or, you know, I don't, I think it would all sound contrived, you know, for myself. Um, like yeah. I knew it would be forced. I've certainly done like, um, creative writing exercises, uh, when I'm stumped lyrically, there's a really great one, um, that Kenny who's in local liars with me told me about. And it's like, um, one that Ryan Adams does. And there's a cool, like Ryan video of Ryan Adams on YouTube going through it. And it's called stacks. Have you ever heard of this? Where, no. where you take like two reference books and two like fiction books and you open one and you like your eyes scan and find a phrase and you write some words or a phrase down from one, you go to the next pile and you do the same. And then your brain con- like somehow starts tying it together and creating a story and it's actually worked ah. and it's so cool, <laughs> you know, say what you will about Ryan Adams for sure. But like that, is, like that is, that is a prolific motherfucker who writes <laughs> some beautiful songs and uh, to know that yeah. like he's hacked his way through some of them is like, Oh, you know, he's not the genius that like is just like flowing with, with words all the time. You know, he's, he gets stumped too, you know, and a lot of people do. Yeah. It's a shame that it's a shame that he turned out to be like a dirtbag dude. Cause he really was like a fucking unreal songwriter. And like, obviously there's still like a lot of great music to reflect on. And just even something like you're talking about there is like, you can still, take valuable information from this, you know, this person or their, uh, their creative process. Yeah, for sure. And I don't want to step in anything, but like, I, I certainly think that like, like that guy wrote some beautiful fucking songs. (laughs) He wrote some beautiful songs. I don't think, I don't think anybody (laughs) would like, would argue with that. You know, Um, there's a lot of people that would argue with it because they'd be like, fuck New York, New York. Like so many people just know him for like <laughs> some country shit, you know, <laughs> or like whiskey town stuff that they hated, but like they never heard come pick me up. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> oh, dear. Oh, killer song. Yep. Um, yeah. I dove into that, that, that disasters acoustic record. Oh yeah. Which that I, was a I dig. Um, <laughs> for you to dig. That was, it was cool. It's cool because you, since you do have such a large catalog of music to dive into, it's it's rad to see all of the different kind of dynamics and and genres that you've dove into over the years, and it's kind of cool hearing you know some of those tracks off disasters like that that opening track, the doors locked from the inside. Um, just hearing that in in contrast to some of the bigger production stuff you've done. Yeah, that was a cool record for me to do because um, I don't know if you heard kind of about how I did it, but I, for the two years prior to that record, was um, 
playing music at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, SeaTac. And I was playing like once a week, a couple times a month, but they were like four hour shifts. Um, gigs for you. Yep. Gigs for you, Mr. Ed Beeson. Um, great, great, great uh, thing he's got going yeah. on at the airport. So I was uh, I was a gig for you, um, and I would make people sad when they were trying to go to Disneyland. Um, and so that being said, I did that, you know, four hours a day. So I got good. And it's it's a really great way for me to, like, wood sh- woodshed, woodshock, workshop ideas. Um Cause no one knows me <laughs> like no one expects to hear a song that they know, right. you know, <laughs> I can fuck up left and right. Um, so it was like really, it forced me to practice and it forced me to get good. So I had like a set, I still have the set list of 30 songs that I would play twice, uh, of my own songs. And then like, you can only do it for two years at a time when it was happening. And so my tenure ran out I was like, well, I'm never going to be this good again. So I um, <laughs> recruited Greg Markle, who um, was the first producer I worked with here in Seattle. Amazing songwriter, amazing producer. Um, and a buddy of mine, he played at our wedding. And I was like, hey, listen, would you be down to, you know, do this marathon thing with me? I think I want to just record these songs to tape with no edits. And he's like, let's fucking do it. So I booked a Saturday, Sunday. And... Um, went into his studio on Saturday. Um, I think I did all of the songs except for maybe one or two. Uh, and then on Sunday we just did like a, you know, we mixed it, but only like dynamics wise, because there were no, there was like a couple vocal mics and a couple guitar mics, you know, and then we mastered it that day and it was done. And I, and I, and I'm super proud of that album just because it's like, it's not like the greatest hits, but it's the greatest, I think my, my best songs at, at that point. And then just, um, I was so happy to, to get through it. And it was like an achievement knowing like, Oh, I didn't sure. I would stop it and start over, but like, none of this is like pro tools, <laughs> you know, right, right? like I'd fuck up and I'd start, we'd start over. But like, if you hear me play through a whole song, I played through it, you know, and, and I did it in a day and not, you know, 30 songs in a day is, it takes a while. <laughs> and so yeah. it literally felt like I'd ran a marathon by the end of that day. Um, but I think it's, it turned, it turned out great. And like the, it opens with like a field recording that I did like on my last shift at the airport. And I think it closes with one of those too. Like just like an iPhone, people walking by kids screaming kind of shit, you know? Shows every week 
was was awesome you know you meet amazing people and you know you meet other incredible musicians because there's like four or five different things going on at the same time just throughout different parts of the airport right um and you got to see ed Ed beeson almost every day so that's always a bonus is that still uh you still think that's when you were your best as far as playing wise your technicality as a as a player i was uh my best of uh singing and playing acoustic guitar at the same time for sure um i don't do much of that anymore i think i'm probably better at logic now or you know (laughs) tracking vocals now um yeah but probably not the best at singing and playing guitar at the same time and maybe that'll come back you know um but uh i i I was thinking the other day i was like i don't even know if i could play any of these songs anymore (laughs) which they've been in my brain for so long that was a sad thing to realize. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I'm so fucking lazy. Like, I don't even practice my own songs. But then I'm like, why would I? I'm not going to play any more shows, I don't think. Right. You know? Right. It's just me, like, it's all ego at that point. Like, yay, la di da. Put on Spotify also, instead. <laughs> it's going to sound better. You're, you're, a, <laughs> you're a few records deep, too. You know, there's a lot for you to, to remember at this point. Totally. Yeah. But there was always the, like, standards of mine where I was like, I can play this song in my sleep any day of the week. And I tried and I was like, Oh no, it's happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's happened. <laughs> um, I know, I know Anna is on that, that, that disasters album as a stripped down version, but that version on white mountains, the full band version. That's another one of my favorite tracks. Of yours, oh, thank for you. For sure. Oh, nice. Uh, at Cloud City in... Uh, in R.I.P. Yep. Oh, are they done? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm 98% positive. Hmm. They actually, maybe even a few years ago, yeah. shut down. Brand, you know Brandon yeah. Eggleston? Um, uh, I met Brandon once. He engineered um, a session for this band called New Lungs. Oh, awesome. Um, who was out of Seattle for a while, which is kind of my my roundabout connection to you and, and Nico is that my cousin uh, plays in the Seattle music scene. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you're Brandon's in- incredible though. Oh dude, he's amazing. So I know Brandon he's cause worked he... on some killer records. Oh, for sure. And continues to, uh, that dude is a legend. Um, I know him cause he, uh, produced a band called post Harbor who Kenny who's in local liars with me was in that band. And then when Kenny was in trouble starts with me, we were like looking for someone to mix. I think Brandon would be great. And so Brandon and I became friends and I was like, Hey, I'm going to do this record. I don't want to get out of Seattle. So I went and went to Portland and did it. But 
that's my way of saying thank you for liking that song. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was a fun record to do. We did it with no bass guitar. It's all um, it's all sub fatty Moog bass on that thing. Uh, the dude that played on that is a beast. He's like so good at keyboard. He's like um, the Doors if they weren't terrible. Uh, <laughs> Shots fired. If they weren't the worst. Um, <laughs> come at me, guys. Twitter war. Least favorite classic rock band for you? Oh God, probably. If I don't listen to much classic rock, but I would probably have to say uh, Led Zeppelin. Uh, I learned about those guys on tour. You know, with a an old dude I was on tour with. He's like, "What do you think about these guys?" I was like, "I don't fucking know shit about that band." And he's like, "You're about to be educated, son." <laughs> and and uh, it shit blew my mind. You know. Um, but yeah, I don't really listen to much classic rock. What about you? <clears throat> oh man, classic rock. See, it sucks being put on the spot, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's pretty rough because I'm gonna like hate. I'm gonna hate my answer after this or something. You know, I'm just gonna be like, why did I say that? That's not. That's not even <laughs> all time. I don't know. Does like does Neil Young oh. count as classic rock? See that? That's or, where I'm like, I'd like to correct my answer, sir. Uh, yeah, I like, don't know. He's still doing it though. So I don't know, man. Classic rock though. It's like Hendrix is king for me, I okay. guess. That's um, fair. I don't know him, but enough. so much, ma- so much good shit, man. There's too many to yeah. choose from. <laughs> Neil Young is a solid answer though. Um, and Neil Young, I, I always have the weirdest, like favorite records of bands. My favorite Neil Young record is Neil Young Unplugged. Probably because that's how I kind of got intro to him. And I just think that that's like the most beautiful fucking record ever. And he hates it. Yeah. He hates that record. Um, but it's it's it, like you can't top that album. Yeah. It's funny how much of an attachment um, people seem to have to the first record that gets you into an artist. Yep. Whether like whether you know that it's not the best record if you continue to dig that band like you just always have this special place it seems like and maybe sometimes it like holds up and you're like yeah this is my favorite record from this particular artist but yeah i think sometimes it's just like remembering you having your mind blown or just like having this complete attachment to this thing yeah i totally agree like the hold steady is a good example of of that um there, there's two records of theirs that are just, those were like the first things I ever heard of them. And I was like, this is the best shit ever. And now like everything after that, I'm like, eh, <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> like the critics and pitchfork say it's all better, but I'm like, I can give a shit about that stuff. <laughs> you know, like I'll just listen to these albums, you know, <clears throat> I don't give a shit about pitchfork. Yeah. <clears throat> but, uh, they're the- dead air now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Pitchfork. There goes that. There goes the Pitchfork yeah, so, sponsorship, and, Daniel. And, and that Thanks. leads me to my sponsorship portion of this. <laughs> well, I'm currently looking for new sponsors. <laughs> Sorry, guys. That's amazing. Yeah. <clears throat> um, as far as writing lyrics, yeah. are you are you often usually writing from? personal experience or are you someone that likes to kind of like write from a character's perspective or, or someone else's perspective? I always think, well, I, I, I guess I always say that my lyrics generally 
don't mean anything. You know, they're to me, they're like a cool turn of phrase. Um, except for Anna. <laughs> so oddly enough, uh, that song came about because I found a dead hummingbird in my apartment when I came home from Christmas one time and, <clears throat> and I like picked it up and I thought it was so beautiful and I put it on my table and like, oddly enough, just like took some pictures and looked at it and was like, this is amazing and went and buried it. Uh, and then wrote the song about it. Sometimes that weird shit happens, you know, but oftentimes, like I said, it's sometimes a puzzle (laughs) where you're trying to find the pieces. And I'd like to think that songs that are written in that Doug Marsh way (laughs) of just pulling phrases eventually make sense or have meaning. Um, but I'm not sure yet, you know, I know that wasn't the best answer, but I, I just am, I like, I'm not the Bazan, I'm not the Ryan Adams storyteller yeah. that those those guys are, the songwriters that I love, you know. <clears throat> and I don't yeah, think I pretend sure. to be, like, it would just seem like shit, you know. <laughs> like, I wish I'd written Yellow Bike. <laughs> like, that song is, like, about me living in Phoenix, basically, but, like, nope, Dave wrote that. <laughs> and he told it way better than I could ever tell him. <laughs> I tried, I couldn't ride one yet that's part of you know acknowledging your strengths over time though too and leaning into like what feels good for you and i think that your explanation definitely you know makes sense and i think i like i like those fragmented pieces that have maybe you know pop up in all different places and finding ways to put them together because i i think that stuff can kind of add to the mystery of a tune as well and you know obviously doug doug marsh the man oh uh, yeah you know? oh for sure yeah <laughs> like put anything in a hat and he'll pull it out and make it poetry basically right? <laughs> so <clears throat> no i uh and I, I unfortunately i just don't i don't practice enough you know like i think like many of us life kind of gets in the way and you're like oh i got inspired to write a song and you'd stay up till you know two in the morning one day writing it and then you don't do that again for another two months, you know, but if you're collaborating with people, which, you know, you never know what's going to show up on your inbox and there you can have a spark, you know, which is nice. It's nice to, to be reawakened sometimes and not be the one having to, you know, set the alarm. (laughs) (laughs) What would you say your intent with putting music is or putting music out rather is at this point in your life? <clears throat> I've always kind of stolen the the bright eyes thing of like to evoke emotion, you know? Uh, I never really wanted to get rich from playing music or anything like that. I I wanted to play shows to, you know, hang out with my friends. And I wanted to go on tour to see other places and 
but ultimately, but also I have an ego that wanted to play in front of big crowds and not just the sound guy and the other bands, you know? Um, I think my ultimate goal is to be, you know, respected as a songwriter and someone that's kind and that's easy to, um, you know, work with and, you know, collaborate with if that's what it is or, or playing a band with, you know, um, and just make things that make you feel, you know, um, you know, Koslick is like the master of that. And he, I just hold it all up to him and his ability to drag shit out of you. <laughs> and, uh, to be able to get near that is, is probably my goal, you know, to be able to drag those emotions out of people. Um, and it's a, it's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy. Hope that answers yeah. your question. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you also feel like it's just kind of uh, an important way for you to process the world and your your own emotions and having that outlet? Yeah, I do. And I don't, you know, I think I definitely worked harder and, you know, put out more stuff and would focus on writing a record from a, from front to back, you know, when I was going through it. Um, but it's harder when you're a happier adult, like we all struggle, you know, continue to struggle with depression and, and things, but you know, I have a wonderful life and it's hard to be like, I'm going to make the saddest fucking music in the world. If you're like, right. I, have two dogs that I snuggle that make me incredibly happy and a wife who's, you know, amazing <laughs> and a cat that drives me crazy, you know, like, um, so I less, I spend less time, you know, behind the guitar <clears throat> trying to process shit, you know? Um, and if I do, sometimes I'll just, you know, play guitar. I'll get up in the morning and meditate and play guitar just to play guitar, not to like think I'm going to write a song or whatever. Right. Um, and if something comes out of it, cool. Um, if I haven't had my phone, <laughs> then maybe I'll remember it. Uh, but, uh, chances are I don't. Uh, and yeah, no, it's, I don't know. It's, it's different than it was 20 years ago. It's not saying it's better or worse. It's just, you know, I'm not, getting drunk every night and wondering what's going on with my life. And, you know, no girls like me that, you know, like all the shit that you go through when you're in your twenties and writing songs, sad guy songs, you know? Uh, <laughs> right. So it's, right. it's different. It's not better. It's not worse. It's just, it's a different thing, you know, <clears throat> for sure. Yeah. I still wonder why girls don't like me, but <laughs> <laughs> we always do. We always will, you know, <laughs> The curse of this the is insecure. True. <laughs> this is this is true. There are a lot of unanswered questions out there for me, and uh, I'm going to keep wondering about those. <laughs> oh boy! <clears throat> so uh, yeah, man, I dug just kind of digging into the tunes and kind of getting acquainted with you in that way. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, it's uh, 
it's funny. I think the thing with like digital music now is, uh, it's always there. You know, you don't have to go yeah. put, find the CD. It's always right. there. And whether you want it to be there or not, or whether you're expecting <laughs> it to be there or not, you know, it, it could be put on a playlist that you don't know about. And then someone discovers your music, um, that you don't know. And I, I think this is going to sound really depressing. Um, but I, about <clears throat> 10 years ago, actually, I got an email from someone and I'd always just thought no matter like how many shows I played or how going on tour, meeting people or whatever, I always thought the only people that ever listened to my music on purpose are like my friends. <laughs> and it's not, it's not even on purpose. That's like, Dan's got a thing. I guess I got to listen to, you know, <laughs> and I got an email from a, a dude, um, who said, Hey, I'm just curious what this song location is. Everything is about, um, the reason why I ask is because, uh, my daughter killed herself and was playing this song on loop. We found it in her iPod and what the fuck? while she, yeah, I said the same thing and I was like, this has got to be someone messing with me, like being an asshole or a troll or something. And so I just Googled uh, Facebook, looked at the guy up and it was real. And like, there was like tributes to his daughter on his page and stuff. And that really hit me in a fucked up way, but also in a way that, hmm. that says like, you never know who's out there listening yeah. to your stuff, you know, be careful. <laughs> uh, and it, and it, so I, I had to be very careful in my crafting of response to this person, you know, cause it, the song is about, if anything, you know, nothing, <laughs> if you know me but like if anything it's about optimism and you know hope right. and living your best life um and i said thank you for sharing this with me i am so sorry for your loss and i i just didn't know what to do with that you know yeah like that was some shit that like had never in my life happened nor has it happened since thank goodness um but was just really insanely heavy and, and completely unexpected and a, a reminder that you never know who's out there listening to your stuff. You know? For sure. <clears throat> Obviously, I don't know. That person was, was going through it mm -hmm. at the time. And obviously your music at, at that particular time made them feel something or, you know, had an impact if they were listening to this track frequently you know during that period and i hope it was peaceful like i hope it provided some peace you know and that's all i can really wish for
was crazy, and 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 I think that just you know people ask me all, all the time, you know, kind of just going back to Spotify and digital music and stuff. It's like um, artists don't get paid because they're not selling merch, you know, or selling CDs and stuff, and and artists are getting paid pennies because of Spotify, you know, and it's like listen. You would go to a show and you would buy a CD or you would buy a CD at, at you know, Music Millennium or whatever. That's a one-time purchase for that band. Now, every time that you listen to their song, they're getting paid for it. Whether mm. whether it's like, you know, 0.001 cent, but every time it's it's income multiplied by all the people that are listening to it. You know, that right. may be 10 or huh. that may be 10 million. But yeah. it's a encouraging thing to think about versus yeah. your income stops when the C, the CD or the t-shirt is sold, you know, yeah. or the record is sold. Cause you're not getting, you're, you know, the plumber isn't getting paid every time you flush the toilet and the hold steady aren't getting paid every time I flip the record player on, you know? Right. But they are now Fuck. in a way. <clears throat> yeah. That's a, uh, I'm glad you said that. I've never... I've never had anybody like present that to me in in that way. I've definitely, you know, talked to the artists that feel like they are seeing benefits from streaming revenues, you know, mm-hmm. even if it is what you're talking about, those pennies on the dollar and whatnot. But yeah, I guess like, yeah, I buy a lot of records, yeah. but I'm going to buy that record and then maybe not listen to the streaming one 100,000 times totally. too or well and buying the record there's not you know you and I both have a ton of records and we we I buy records because I like to support the band you're still supporting yeah. the band but the, the thing right. is it's like that's a one time purchase and 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 digital music isn't um right you know even iTunes was a one time purchase now Apple Music isn't <laughs> you know um yeah. So there's a lot of ways to look at it. I try to look at it in the positive. Um, For sure. And to me, that's a positive. You know, artists are getting paid forever on their shit as long as they keep it up, you know. Right. um, Yeah, that took an interesting turn. But, you know, that's really like uh, I remember I used to like not steal music, but like be on forums and stuff where people would share. And this was like before, you know, yeah, dude. every, like it was like Napster or whatever. Um, right. And I would always try to like buy the CD and, or the album, the record, because I was like, well, at least give these guys some money, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, yeah. if it was something that I loved, like if I got like the new John Vanderslice or something, you know, was able to like download it secretly, I would always try to buy the record as soon as it came out because, you know, that's bread and butter. <clears throat> yeah. I think me buying so many records in the last seven years has been my like retribution for all the music I downloaded <laughs> <For sure. laughs> in that time of my life when I didn't have money to like buy that many CDs. But I think that's also like the flip side of it is that like for younger people, you know, you don't always have that disposable income or even adults and well into your you know, your later life, you don't always have the money to buy every single CD mm-hmm. or every album that's coming out. So but for $10 a month, you, you can. can yeah. <laughs> and then, and then you can buy the ones that really mean something to you, or you can go buy one, like the band shirt yep. or 
you know. I have too many punk nature. rock t-shirts. I'm constantly getting like band <laughs> shirts and records in the mail. And uh, <laughs> that's that's how I've been like boosting my serotonin is like online shopping during the pandemic. <laughs> it's like face to face has made a lot of money off of me over the last six months. <laughs> oh man. I had so many fucking like local Portland band and artist shirts from the first two years of doing this podcast oh, when it was, yeah. when it was more strictly like local artists. <laughs> so funny. That's Just awesome. like the drawer full I have of all these like, bands that may or may not be in existence now do you remember a portland band called woke up falling i don't so that maybe a little bit before your time we were on the same label and they were buddies of mine when i lived down in portland um like 2004 uh great okay. like emo band you know classic emo band um but you should check them out they're really good <laughs> i will for sure woke up falling. um let's uh Let's dive more into the the digital distribution uh, sector of things. Sure. Um, let's talk some some distro kid stuff. Who is uh, kindly sponsoring this episode <laughs> of the podcast? You know, <laughs> might as well throw a little plug since, in there. Uh, um, since Pitchfork dropped out, we uh... <laughs> since Pitchfork dropped out, distro kid was happy to pick up the slack. Yeah. <laughs> That's so nice of them. You know. Um, but yeah, talk, uh, just maybe, maybe give the rundown on, uh, your role at distro kid. And I know you were telling me you were one of the early employees. If, if not the first, is that the first? Yeah. And it's all comes down to white mountains actually. Um, so, uh, I <clears throat> was using a different distributor for many years and recorded white mountains in Portland and I had heard from some friends like, Hey, you should try distro kid. You know, it's 20 bucks a year, unlimited stuff. And I was like, Oh, um, that sounds too good to be true. I'll try it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I did. And, uh, you know, this was 2015 when I uploaded white mountains and I had a <clears throat> capitalization issue. Cause at that time, digital stores and, and, uh, streaming services, cared heavily about um standardized capitalization so like if you you know type a sentence it capitalizes the making sure the right letters are capitalized in, at the beginning of each word ah uh, yeah and so distro kids upload form um at the time defaulted to standardized capitalization because the the thing that has to happen is stores and and streaming services have to be happy before the artists can be happy. Uh, so you send things to them in the correct format. So I had a song called, I have a song called the A and Adam, and it was the opener on white mountains and the A defaulted to lowercase, but I wanted it capitalized. So I emailed support, which was actually just Philip Kaplan, the founder. And I was like, Hey, I was any way that I could get this capitalized, this A to be capitalized. He's like, no one's ever mentioned that to me before. I built this tool for you. I'm calling it the DGH tool. And he's like, all you have to do is hover over this thing on the upload form and it secretly unlocks capitalization so you can do whatever you want. And he had like a little screenshot mock-up, you know, and I was like, oh my God, that is the coolest thing ever. Like never in my wildest dreams, even at like the bank, could you get them to do some shit like that for you, let alone a, a music company, right? 
And I was like, thank you yeah. so much. Uh, please let me know. If, I would love to work for you. I'm a big asker of things that I want, you know, uh, not in a weird way, but just like, it, you know, that's how I get to collaborate with people. You know, I just ask what's the worst thing that can happen. People that's say no. You know? <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, that's why, we're, that's why we're here. Exactly. Like that's how yeah. something like this happens. Exactly. And uh, I was like, Hey, you know, I'm pretty good at talking to people and like I've done customer service and stuff. I think at the time I was like working for Apple or something and it's like, I'd love to work for you. And so he's like, I'm good right now, but I'll let you know. And then literally a year later, he, uh, in classic fashion, had forgotten, uh, and he sent a tweet that was like, hey, I need help, and I just happened to check Twitter that that day, and I was like, yo, and so he's like, let's talk, and we talked, and he said he got a bunch of different people asking about it, and, and he ch- luckily chose me, and so I came on board as the first employee literally five years and a week ago, so I just celebrated five years uh, at DistroKid, and, and Congrats. thank you, <laughs> and so... I had to take a vacation for my birthday that my wife had booked. And so I, he's like, well, you better find someone to help. So I, uh, asked a few friends and, uh, ended up talking to my buddy, Jason, who plays in local liars with me, who, uh, I just knew from music and, and was just know that he was a solid dude. And he was doing like customer service, some shitty job that he hated. And I was like, Hey, you want to come? You heard of distro kid? And he's like, I probably had heard of distro kid through him. You know, he's like, of course you idiot. And so, uh, (laughs) he talked to Philip and then Philip hired him. And so it was just the three of us for the first year and a half. Um, and we kind of did it all. I did artist relations and album review stuff. And then Jason took over artist relations and I did album review, but I was also working, you know, doing other things, marketing related things. Um, and then kind of did a, a number of different things at DistroKid um, and have been able over the last 18 months to be able to focus on just doing like, you know, uh, marketing type of things, uh, podcast sponsorships, things like that. Um, and it's, it's amazing, uh, you know, to me. And now I, I think I mentioned, I did like a celebratory Instagram post that was like five years. It's like, we just, we, we just announced that we distribute, um, a third of the world's music, uh, the world's digital music and just, um, distributed our millionth artist, um, which is pretty, pretty awesome. And that's, um, that's amazing. Pretty crazy considering, you know, we still only have, which is still a lot, like about a hundred employees. Um, and we just have a lot of really smart people working there. Not me. Um, a lot of smart people that are really good at like making the website do things, you know, that you would, other companies would need 20 people to do, you know? Um, so very, very happy. You know, I, I, I say this not because I've am an employee, but I, because I'm an artist that, you know, if you're not using district kid, you fucked up, you, you know, you, um, <laughs> I believe the artist should get paid for everything and district. It doesn't take a percentage of any earnings. Um, and they don't charge per upload. And to me, that's enough, <laughs> but we also do a bunch yeah. of other cool things, you know, like if you and I do a, a song together, I can pay you without us having you having to like, if we break up, you know, in, in three years, you don't have to come try to find me to get your money. Like I can just right. send you the money automatically through district you know? 
So it does a lot of cool things to help artists and, and a lot of cool, like free promotional tools and stuff too, that we're always trying to, trying to, to get out there. So that's kind of, that's yeah. kind of my story. <laughs> was, so was, uh, was Philip's vision for this thing just kind of to make the most independent, creative artist friendly service in this, in this realm? Essentially. Yeah. He was, he's in a death metal band and he was uploading his single through a different company. And he's like, this fucking sucks. Like this experience is hard. Like, and it shouldn't be. And uh, he's like, I'm dumb. <laughs> like he'll tell you that. And he's like, and I can't figure this out. I should make it so anyone can be able to figure out how to upload a song. If you can upload a picture to Instagram, you can put your fucking song on Spotify. And yeah. uh, that was kind of the mission. And he did it. And it caught on. Like I knew the day I got hired, I was like, this will be the last job that I ever have because this is going to be huge. Um, and it has been luckily, you know, I'm, I'm so happy and I'm just so happy that like artists love us. So that's my, my voice is running away from me. Uh, <laughs> I haven't talked so much in such a long time. So. <clears throat> like outside of the obvious affordability of like the the platform that distro kid offers like why why do you think so many artists gravitate towards using the service i think that um we live in a time of singles uh i mean there's a million answers to that but this is one thing i think of right away is that you know we're not putting people aren't putting out an album every three years anymore. You know, if they're if, like I used to do using another distributor, you'd pay 40 bucks to have that uploaded. But now people are putting out singles a week, you know, every few weeks. And with the traditional model, you would have to generally pay to have each one of those uploaded. Um, some models have, you have to pay yearly to keep those things in stores. And we just said, fuck all that. <laughs> like I said, you shouldn't have to pay your plumber every time you flush the toilet. Um, and so that I think is extremely attractive. Um, and the fact that we don't keep any of the earnings, you know, subscript, we, you pay us yearly like Netflix to use, to use the service, to push your, your files to the, to where they, where you want them to go. We also do cool things for free. Like we do like little promo cards that you can download to promote your album on like social media. We, um, Philip is always cranking out crazy things like the like baby Yoda meme generator. I don't know if you've seen that. Like it's, <laughs> that's the mind of Philip. You see those and you go, that is Philip Kaplan and they're genius. Um, and people love that, you know, people love you know, seeing Philip on Instagram, walking down the street with his baby, talking about the teams thing that is, or hyper follow or whatever. Um, <laughs> you know, I think one thing that we were able to do early on was somehow be a cool company. You know, I have a lot of distro kid gear and whenever I have a distro kid hat on and I, and I'm like on a interview or something, they're like, where do I get one? Or I'll be walking down the street and people will be like, I love DistroKid. How can I get a hat? And I'll send them a hat or whatever. That shit would never happen with like our competitors, <laughs> you know? Like, so there's somehow this era, this aura of cool to it. And I think that's neat, you know? Like that means, and, and it's not because like, 
you know, Jeff Bezos says it's cool. It's because artists use the shit and it's fucking rad right. and it works. So. Yeah. And they want to fucking, they want to rep it. Yeah. Which is awesome. Which may, as a marketing person, that makes my job easy. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's my street team is all the artists. that use <laughs> Absolutely. Send me a hat. Yeah. I got you. <laughs> I'll wear one. You. <laughs> I'm about you. it. Yeah, pitchfork Obviously. is not, pitchfork is going to get all their hats back. <laughs> So you're going to need something to cover that. <laughs> I just have to sad send this sad shipping box of all of, all of the, uh, the things that they sent. Yeah. It's probably yeah. just a bunch of like Joan of Arc records and, uh, <laughs> I don't know. <coughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so obviously the playlist of the modern era is now like, one of the ultimate gatekeepers, right? Um, so what role, if any, does, does distro kid take on in that area? Are you, are you guys helping out trying to get submitting for playlists for artists and whatnot? Yeah. So there's a couple of different things, you know, it, it, as DistroKid artists, you get access to Spotify for artists, which you get, can verify your profile through Spotify distro kids so you get the blue check mark on spotify and once you have that you pitch directly to spotify um so as long as your release is uploaded and hits spotify's system seven days before the release comes out you can pitch to their 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 editors and i did that for um one of our local liar songs and we were actually on a punk rock playlist that had like a hundred thousand followers we were on there for a week which is awesome because it was like this was our debut thing and it was a nice way to kickstart like you know our awareness and you know we also um have a playlist contest type of thing called spotlight where you can upload your track you know the track that you've distributed through DistroKid. um you can choose to have that um kind of compete in a friendly way with other artists um and then it's voted on through the community and then every friday our playlists automatically update with the winners. We have about 10 plus different genre playlists and then one playlist that is all genres. Um, and those playlists all have like a hundred thousand followers. So, um, it's pretty cool. And, and that's a free tool that anyone using DistroKid can use if they've uploaded music. So, um, you know, playlists, you know, we, there's always the thing that's like, what do I need to do to market my music? And the answer is a hundred things, <laughs> you yeah. know, the thing I do now is I run Facebook ads because I learned through Andrew Southworth, who is the God of Facebook ads on YouTube, the right way to do it. I still do them really poorly, but they're working. And I, you just sent in, you set incremental goals. And one of my goals is to get a thousand Spotify followers by summer. And I, I'm getting there. Um, and the reason I want Spotify followers is because if I get, a new track coming out every Spotify follower of mine gets it in their release radar on Friday. Right. That's another great reason to collaborate with people because then if you're collaborating with someone, it goes into their Spotify followers release radar too. Um, so I don't know if that really answers your questions about playlists, but yeah, there's a number of ways that, you know, distro kid can help there too. So we just provide the tools that you can then use however you choose. Yeah. Is is iTunes just like really not a player in like the playlist 
world in in this sense then because obviously they have their you know i have both so you know i'm getting like my new apple music playlist every week Mm -hmm. that comes out but i don't know it just seems like when when people talk playlists it's usually i got on this spotify playlist you know yeah um you know there's i don't think there's any way to pitch to an apple music playlist from within apple music for artists that i know of um and so spotify has always just kind of been um i have to tread lightly but like (laughs) spotify has been very artist friendly and they didn't start as a tech company gotcha um making a product for artists um so i think there are a lot of great apple music uh, playlists how do you get on them I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But Spotify has that shit dialed in, you know, and and at some point maybe Spotify will be surpassed by someone else that is, you know, doing cool shit, you know? It's just it's just how world the music evolves. It's how the industry evolves, you know. As far as like the industry evolving too, what's it kind of like for you to have that firsthand experience with how quickly this industry changes from year to year or even day to day? it's hard to keep up, (laughs) you know, you try to read the newsletters and, and, uh, you know, different blogs and things, but there's always stuff. And there's a lot of stuff. I think for me, um, where I realized I was making myself crazy was trying to know everything. So I try to know a lot about a few things. (laughs) Like I'll be the first to admit that I don't really understand Twitch. (laughs) But my partner, Michaela, she understands Twitch. And so I ask her to help with the Twitch stuff or the, the TikTok stuff. You know, I'm pretty good at, at other things. Um, so you try to do it all and you're just going to drive yourself into the ground. Then this is just such a vast, vast world. You know, there's so many things that I didn't ever understand that I probably will never understand uh, about, you know, certain types of royalties and things like that. Uh, I just have people around me that are better at it that I can ask, you know? Um, did that answer your question? I'm sorry. I feel like I'm talking to myself in circles yeah, right now. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> You're sorry. good. You're good. <laughs> <clears throat> You're all right. Uh, no, that, that makes a lot of sense for sure. What do you think? I know there's, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's a hundred answers for this, but as somebody that's in this world, what do you, think the most important things like a musician or a creative should keep in mind when, you know, putting a project out to get that maximum visibility, especially if they're new to putting music out on their own. The thing I always say is upload it early. Hold on a second. What is that sound? I don't know what's going on. Someone breaking in. Uh, probably my cat. We have flat handles on the door, and so he knows how to just come in and out. Whatever. Um, yeah, upload early. It gives you the chance to promote your release before it comes out, you know, and, and it gives you the chance to pitch it to Spotify, playlist curators. Um, and also, um, we have a thing called Hyperfollow, which is like a pre-save thing. Not, it's, it kind of serves a number of pur- purposes, but two primarily are you know, my release is coming out in a couple weeks. I put it on my social media and I say, 
you know, go here to pre-save it to your Spotify, which means that person will automatically follow me, which is A, a follower, and B, it'll show up in their release radar and in their library on release day. Um, and that's huge. So the, the more time you have to be able to do that, to get people to pre-save your release is great. Um, you can do cool shit like videos and like stuff, cool content for, for social media. Um, and then once the release goes live, you can update that hyperfollow page with, um, all of the links for the stores or the DSPs or a video or whatever you want. And then you just have like a one page to send out. Um, instead of having to like, Hey, if you use iTunes, go here. If you use Spotify, go here. It's like a landing page with all the links to all of those places. So utilizing that, you know, in your marketing copy and in your Instagram stories and stuff is awesome. And you, uh, you, you know, through your district kid dashboard, you get to see how many people have clicked here and there and stuff. It's pretty cool. So yeah, my one piece of advice is do it early. (laughs) <laughs> you know, upload quality yeah. stuff and upload early just so you can take advantage of the amount of time, you know, but before the, the, the release comes out. Yeah, for sure. I think that's, that's definitely something I've learned over the last, you know, six months or so just diving into some of these things is like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta be on top of these things. If you want it to be out on the day that you want it or available on all the things that you want it to be can't be just like these afterthoughts to be like oh yeah how do how do i get it on these things yeah well and if you want to like swap out the artwork or something you give yourself the time to do that you know you have the window to be able to do that so for sure (sighs) well fuck man we're deep we're deep into it 90 minutes in or so is this gonna be a two-parter I don't think so. I don't think so. We're going to roll the whole thing. <laughs> I love it. Um, I love it. Yeah, I appreciate you jumping on with me and talking about your your music and how you got involved in music and where you're at now with your creative process and, and all the distro kid stuff. Oh, man. Well, thank you so much for uh, for having me on. And, and uh, it's been nice. You know, I haven't chatted about this stuff in a long time. And uh, it it's just uh it's been nice so thank you so much and thanks for uh being willing to you know chat about distro kid and stuff too so yeah dude obviously i don't know it's just it's nice to uh just for me to even further understand the ins and outs of it all because i obviously you know um think it's like great service and everything but i don't have the the five years of insight you have daniel on the on on the company and whatnot and i'm just like yeah man i can't be any more grateful for you just even like checking out what i was doing and you know linking up in any way to to support this thing is is uh it means a lot to me man of course you know i'm an independent artist at heart you know that's first and foremost (laughs) and so um you know i just try to do what I can to support independent music, especially right now. <laughs> For sure. You know, no one's playing shows. And uh, a lot of people don't realize that the, that it's not just the, the artists that aren't getting paid. It's people that run the venues and the people that slung, sling beers at the venues. And so we just got to get through this shit, man, together. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. Um, talk to me about this, this new track that uh, 
I guess, comes out today. If today is March 26th. Oh, yes, we are in the future could, now. You've yeah. got a new track coming out. <laughs> a new banger just dropped. Uh, it is with a uh, big surprise uh, lo-fi artist uh, named Lil Miss Beats. She's from South Africa. Um, she is really, really talented and way more uh, knowledgeable about music than I am. And so we just kind of got to chatting, and I was like, let's do some shit. And so she sent me a thing like just like within 24 hours, and uh, I sent her a couple ideas, you know, I, I tracked some guitar and some vocals and, and then lo and behold, like a week later, this track shows up and I was like, I never would have done that. That is amazing. Uh, oh, yeah. So it's really fun. And, and we just like, we had a Zoom call to kind of chat like, um, like artwork and title and the time zones were real tricky. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're in one of those like, is it tomorrow or is it last week? time zones you know <laughs> yeah uh, we got it <laughs> i was just trying to schedule this uh this podcast with this artist from australia forget i'm just like fuck man we gotta <laughs> like okay it's gonna be wednesday for you and tuesday for me yep all right i think i got it figured out yep um well it's called cabin skies and um it's out today and i'm really happy i think uh i think if uh if you follow me on spotify it'll it's already in your uh release radar so thank you and if you don't <laughs> then you should and i'll put the link in the episode notes along with that distro kid link so you can Thank get 30 percent off those uh that first year of membership um and we end every episode daniel with the uh the guest of the show saying the tagline which is it's a program so i if need we to get, get one the, of those t-shirts by the way i'll send you one i'll send you a hat i'll trade you perfect um <laughs> if we get the the dgh it's a program we can properly end this thing well, it's a program. He nailed it, everybody. <laughs> All the links will be in the episode notes. Cabin Skies is the track we're playing it out with. Go find that on all the streaming services. And that's the Jelly Jams, and we will catch you on the flip side. Portland, Seattle, wherever you're listening from. Cool, man. Thank you so much. This is awesome.
want to give a big shout out to Distro Kid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Can't say thank you enough to Distro Kid for their support of this thing. And make sure you go into the episode notes and find that Distro Kid link to receive 30% off your first year of membership with Distro Kid, making their already affordable prices even cheaper for you. So make sure you take advantage of that. And the link is also in uh, the link in my Instagram bio on the link tree. So you can find it there as well. Big thanks to DistroKid. Stay up, stay tuned.